It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Let's go, let's go, let's go. On Giants.com. I like it, I like it, I like it. And the Giants mobile app. Boom. Give me some juice. Part of the Giants podcast network. Let's roll. Welcome to another edition of the Giants huddle podcast brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the Giants. I'm John Schmelk. Well, folks, we're back with our normal Friday player interview and game preview podcast. It'll be the same every week. We'll talk to a member of the Giants. We'll talk to head coach Brian Dable. And we'll talk to a beat reporter covering the opposing team. But as always, why don't we start off with Dory Jackson, who was a big matchup with CeeDee Lamb this week. He'll also talk about the Giants' young cornerbacks and the matchup against the Dallas Cowboys, not to mention some big-picture stuff with the Giants. And now we're joined by the vet in the Giants' DB room, Dory Jackson. Yeah, Dory, so how are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great, dude. All right, so let's... Uh, Let's start here. You've been around good teams in your career. You've mm-hmm. been around teams that have gone in far in the playoffs. You've been teams that haven't gone so far in the playoffs. Correct. What's your feel for this team coming out of camp, uh, given what you know about what NFL teams should look like when you're starting a season? Um, I think for us being very competitive and being able to um, just be another year on this system, I think that that's always a plus. And it's a pleasure to have another year. And then the guys that we bring in, you always know that this league is not going to be the same. Everything changes. But to have those who come and uh, come in this league and come in this system, understanding what we're, what we're trying to build and where we want to go. And I think we're doing a good job at that. And I'm excited for our, for our future. What's different? when you get to regular season game one, right? You've done scrimmages against the Lions. You've done preseason games. You've done a bunch of practices. But obviously, something is very different when you play that first regular season game. So what is a player, is it almost hard to prepare for in the preseason that happens in game one that you just kind of got to say, oh, yeah, this is what this is like, and you kind of got to hit the ground running a little bit? Um, I think the preseason does gives, gives you a good tell of how the season may be. You know, if people say that the game ramps up a, a, a bit. But I think if you go into practice and handle it the right way, the level of play shouldn't change. So you should need to go out there and practice, exalt yourself, exalt yourself, and uh, you know, conditioning, running to the ball, uh, working your technique, playing and playing hard, and doing things that's going to stress you. Um, so when you get to the game, you've been in those positions, you've seen those looks, so you're not doing it for the first time. So I think that's the difference uh, for some. Just go out there and whatever you do in practice, translate that into the game. What is it about the way Wink and Dave's coaches you guys that does allow you to play with that level of intensity throughout the summer in August? Uh, I think Wink does a great job of letting us be ourselves. He um, lets the defense be our defense, although he has a history of having great defenses, being number one, winning Super Bowls. But I, I like that he keeps it real with us, you know, have those conversations, you know, where we can improve on. You never tell someone if you're good. I mean, you know that, but you always tell someone, even if you're good, what you can work on and improve. And I, I sure. love that, you know, the most. Uh, he's not going to toot your horn, but he's also going to let you know it's, it's always areas to improve on and be better. And I think him doing that and then bringing the right guys and us being another year in this system, we're able to hold each other accountable so you don't take it the wrong way. You know, it's like an older brother or cousin, whatever it may be, telling you, hey, you need to tighten up, get it together. And you be like, okay, you take it the right way. I understand, like, I don't want to disappoint my brothers, you know, the guy next to me. And I think holding each other accountable, being under this defense again, and and being comfortable uh, makes a lot of difference. You mentioned the keep it real section uh, sessions. Obviously, it's easy to easier to have those conversations one on one with the coach, right? But mm-hmm. my understanding is that he does everybody in the room in front of the group, right? Exactly. Why does that work? Because I feel like for some guys that might be something they don't like so much, having that aired publicly in front of the entire defense? I think it works because you're all on the same page. You understand now you know, where you're seeing at, where you looked at, and you can actually um, be with your peers. And you, don't, you can't go in the locker room and say, oh, man, I'm not feeling this, I'm not feeling that. But at the same time, when you have those keep it real, Wink lets you know, speak up now so we're all on the same page. It's kind of like you know, being at the family table and they say, you know, how was your day? Everybody get their chance to talk. I, I like that a lot, um, to be able to have that family dynamic and all be on the same page. Where do you think specifically this defense can make the biggest improvement from last year to this year? Um, I, I think the, the, the biggest improvement for us is to, um, when, that, when adversity hits, I mean, obviously, seeing we went 77-2, I was about to say 72. <laughs> we went 72 
and then we you know we lose a couple games here and there. Um, but then we you know we won that one game and get to the playoffs. But I think from that standpoint, understanding that feeling, you know what I'm saying. I think that's where you can improve at knowing that feeling of losing streaks, that feeling of losing in the playoffs, that feeling of things not going your way. And I think you put all those um, sweat and tears and, and blood that you shed during OTAs, during camp, and I think you get that understanding and everybody be on the same page. I think that's the improvement there, just going into week one and just sacrificing everything that you put on the line uh, that night. We talked on the Giants Total Podcast back in June at the end of minicamp. Right. I asked you about Deontay, I asked you about Trey. And you talked about their maturity, they're a little bit different. Once you got to see them on the field, in camp, pads, contact, what more did you see, and where do you think they've kind of improved a lot as you've seen them over the past six, seven, eight weeks? I think where I've seen them improve at the most would be just, I don't say understanding the game. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because you get to play with us. You get to understand. They ask a lot of questions, and I love that a lot, just to be able to ask and to learn and seek knowledge and to seek how to be better, how to play certain things. So I appreciate that a lot, you know, about those two. And I think that's where I, I see the the most improvement, like understanding football and even when we're out there just discussing different things, anticipating, asking questions. What do you think going to happen here? You know, why do you think that? And even when we're in there with Rome, he asks, uh, you know, a bunch of questions. Why? What's your thought process on this? Let me know. I'm going to tell you what I, what I would think. And then he asks us, you know, how do you think or what would you think? And I think them learning um, every day and wanting to learn and wanting to get better is helpful. Now, I'm sure you've seen a bunch of rookies that have come to teams you've been on be very physically gifted, and then they get on the field, and it's like, all right, you might be physically gifted, but you're not ready to play, mm -hmm. right? So what sets, and maybe you already answered this question, talking about all the questions they ask and understanding the game, but what makes Trey and Deontay different, that they are ready to play, and you and Wink and their teammates and Coach Dable can have confidence in them at such a young age with no NFL experience? Um, I think it goes with, I don't want to say being battle-tested, but seeing them in camp, the joint practice, seeing them in the preseason games, um, how they approach the game. Um, they approach the game the right way. They respect it, and I think when you respect the game and do things the right way, good things happen to those. Um, so uh, from that standpoint, they take care of their bodies. They're in the classroom wanting to learn, um, asking questions, you know, watching them work their technique, and, if you know, leading by example for – to say, if I don't do a rep right, I'm going to do it again. And I see them doing it again. Like, oh, if they didn't like it, they're going to do it again. So I see them just trying to, okay, let me just do it like a pro and, and be a pro and they do a great job at that. And this is not to minimize the work they've done, but how does Wink and the way he understands how to use players to their strengths and what they're, what they're good at help young guys like that maybe come along a little quicker because he knows how to use his system and play to their strengths a little bit? I think that's helpful, helpful a lot. And having the, like I said, the accountability uh, from your peers around you, and um, you know those keep it real. So I'm not going. He's not going to always tell you what you do good. He's going to tell you what you can improve at. So you're going to see those keep it reals, and then your peers next to you, like okay, let's see if he's going to improve. Let's see if he's going to get better and do better. So I think that's helpful a lot. It's like you know, pressure is good. I feel like that means something is expected of you. So um, when you have wink us and everybody around you expecting you to do great things and hold you accountable and they can hold us accountable as well so yeah. that's what i appreciate the, the most about is not one-sided like if you're not playing good or you're not doing something i would expect them to pick pick the next man up because at the end of the day you want them to do the same for you all right let's talk about you we haven't talked about you yet <laughs> um and I'm, you've asked a million times are you comfortable playing in the slot you know are you, are you ready to do it i'm not going to answer that because you've answered it a million times <laughs> because you have done it before it's not like you've, you played i think 60 or 70 snaps there last year and you followed receivers there mm -hmm. you've done it so what different technique things have you had to work on now in the past six weeks or so when you learn that you know maybe this is going to be a bigger part of what i do what are some of the things you've had to work in practice so you are ready to go out there if you're playing more snaps than you have in the past on a game-by-game -game basis inside? I really just talked to Darnay a lot um, and, and Cordell Flott, but being able to have them on the sideline, talk to them, ask them questions like, um, if I do something, I explain why I did it this way, and I ask them, you know, just like how Rome asked the DBs, why did you see it that way? So I always ask questions like, what, why, why did you do it this way? Or I did it like this, what could I have done to be better? Sometimes they'd be like, oh, no, that was good like that. Or they'd be mm -hmm. like, oh, try this out. So I think that's very helpful, um, being on the same page and understanding. Um, and that's what I love about this room. It's always trying to each one teach one, help each other be better. Like I said, you don't have to be 
well, you can be old, uh, older and not know everything and still learn. And I appreciate, you know, that a lot, you know, for these guys um, helping me out. And at the same time, it's iron sharpers iron. So sure. I'll go out there and try to do something. And it's like, okay, let's see if he can do better than that. And then he do it like, okay, now I got to make a play. So I love this about this group. Um, we're always trying to push each other and compete and see who can be, you know, the best DB on the practice field. And I guess the three things that are a little bit different is – maybe a little bit more setting the edge in the run game, right? Because you're closer to the line. That's one. Right. Two-way go in coverage. You don't have that sideline there to use to kind of help you out outside. Right. But then you get the blitz more too, right? right, right, I, right. I imagine. So you're already smart. I know you're yeah, looking forward yeah. to that. So as what of those three things, what kind of is, is the biggest challenge? What has you most excited is maybe some of the different things you have to do inside as opposed to playing near the boundary? I think everything is very exciting for me in that sense, you know, just to display – not just my athleticism, but my knowledge and understanding of the game um, in a sense. You know, look you mentioned at, you felt like Logan Ryan, right? And he I was like the <laughs> ultimate the, you know, guy that plays with his head, right? Yeah. Um, man, Logan is a, a, a tremendous talent. And like you said, his, his mental, um, the game is 90% mental, 10 physical. And you can see it out there with Logan, smart guy, uh, plays the game in the right way and approaches the right way, studies. Um, and, you know, being under his, his wing for – I was three years at four year, three years or four years in Tennessee, and then one one year here. So it's like okay, you you get to understand. It's like um, you get to follow those footsteps and see. You might not ask a bunch of questions, but from afar, I'm paying attention. Like okay, he does like this, he do it like that, and I might ask here and there and see what he says. But it's like ah, okay, he doing his thing. So uh, I think that's what's very exciting. I've seen the success you know Logan has and how he made a difference. You know, regardless in how he was being outside corner, and when I got there, they moved him to the slot, but he's still playing outside. And, and seeing him do both at a high level, it's like, okay, I can respect that. I can appreciate that. I see that if I get that position, I want to emulate, you know, how Logan Ryan did. And then, you know, you just watch, you know, other guys who've, who've been in the slot, like Tyron Matthew um, when he's at LSU or in the league playing. And I think those are helpful. And Marlon Humphrey as well, you know, being in that system with, with Wink, get to see different things. Yeah, you get to follow guys now more, right? I mean, if you, you know, if you want to follow a guy, they go inside and you'd be like, all right, I'm good now. Right now, they don't know what we're playing. Man's on, <laughs> don't know. So, yeah, that's pretty, that's another cool point about, you know, being inside in the slot and having, you know, uh, you know, I, I followed the receivers before last year, so you don't know what may happen, you know, in the game. And I think I appreciate the most about this opportunity to be able to display different things and, you know, just, uh, have fun with my guys out there. couple questions about the matchup. we, we got to get you to your meeting. Uh, CeeDee Lamb, what makes him a tough matchup as a wide receiver? He led the league in yards receiving from the slot last year. What what makes him tough to cover? Um, besides being a, you know, a, a tremendous athlete, great ball skills, I think him and his quarterback are on the same rapport, whether it be, all right, regardless, I'm going to throw you the ball because I like you. You're my favorite target. <laughs> so I'm going to make sure I feed you that ball. You're going to get action now. You get a bunch of targets and – that that's one of the things you will want as a receiver, and he 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 thrives, you know, well in his role and the things that he do. Were you in Tennessee when Brandon Cooks was in Houston? I should have looked this up before we started. Uh, when I was in Tennessee, Brandon Cooks was in New England. My rookie year, he was in New England. Um, so he so so he, so he was gone from Houston by the time you were in Tennessee. Yeah, I played him. I played him. Uh, I played him once. He got to Houston my last year in Tennessee. Okay, so this was twenty twenty one or twenty, right? Twenty. 20. Kobe year. And then I came here. He was still in Houston when we played last year. But I, I faced him uh, a couple times because he was with the Rams. I know I faced him in a playoff game when he was in New England. Um, he what was if, with the Rams. What have you told the Young Bucks about him? Because they're going to have to deal with him outside, and he's a hell of a player. Um, I think his game speaks for itself. But, I you know, I tell him that, you know, that is uh, the craziest story I ever can remember about Brandon Cooks. I was at USC. He went to Oregon State, of course. And I get there, and we was playing Oregon State, and I'm like, man, I'm glad we ain't got to play Brandon Cooks. Mind you, I didn't know. I didn't even know who Brandon Cooks was. You know, I didn't. I wasn't really. You know, I was a DB, didn't really follow SC football like that. Um, and they kept saying Brandon Cooks. I'm like, man, this guy was. This guy was tearing all up, like putting fear in him. Like, man, I'm glad we ain't got to see him. I'm like, dang, who was Brandon Cooks? So that was my first <laughs> thought of Brandon Cooks. Like, oh, he must be five. And then I see him. He always has a thousand yards. The one time he didn't get a thousand yards, he was hurt that year. I yep. think he still got like eight hundred yards. So that goes to speak for itself the type of talent he is, and having different quarterbacks going from the Saints to the Patriots to the Rams to go to Houston. You got four, maybe I don't know, different quarterbacks to play to go against. 
and you still get a thousand yards, that tells you a lot about you as, as a person, how you work hard, you treat the game right, and the game is going to treat you right, and just a tremendous athlete that he is. So um, I just tell those guys to to, to stay with him. Um, you know, don't don't take no players off. I don't care if he's younger, older. If you're younger, he's older. Doesn't matter. Go out there and approach the game the same way you approach when you come out to practice and you want to dominate. Just show him that four three three he ran at the NFL Combine, and 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 that'll get their eyes open. I'm sure. Yeah, but don't 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 let Brandon Cooks get the run. <laughs> That's one thing you don't want. You don't want no receiver in this league to get a a full head of steam. And when you're big and long like those two outside guys are, they can certainly do it. Final question. I find preparation for this stuff interesting. Similar offense they're running, but Kellen Moore's not there. New play caller, right, with, mm-hmm. with Mike McCarthy. Have you guys looked at all and tried to figure out how maybe things might change with a different play caller, or are you just using the Cowboys tape from the last couple of years and trying to work off of that? Um, yeah, it's always tricky in that aspect because you don't know. Obviously, you go to preseason, a lot of teams don't show everything, but at the same time, um, you want to know, you know what they're – I guess we talk about their bread and butter, which is Dak to, to CD. But now they have Gallup, who is a tremendous talent. You got uh, – not now that they have Gallup. Ben had him. But have Cooks now, another tremendous talent. Um, and, and Pollard. So you know that they have a lot of weapons to, to, to go around. So in the aspect, when you think about it, you don't know what you may get. But at some point, you know – those guys are going to be featured, and you just try to figure out what did they do well and just how to combat that. Adore, good stuff. Best luck against Appreciate Dallas. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. That's Giants cornerback Adoree Jackson. Giant fans love a winner. It's why they love Citizens, named a 2022 Best Bank in the U.S. by The Banker. As the official bank of the Giants and sponsor of the huddle, Citizens is made ready for fans of Big Blue. Learn more at citizensbank.com. You're ready for a change. Payday comes early with Citizens, so go to that retreat. New you moves to the country. Now you're raising goats and launching a lifestyle brand. Are you ready for all that life brings? All right, now we're going to turn to Lance Meadow, who had a chance to talk to Dallas Cowboys beat reporter for ESPN, Todd Archer. The Giants and Cowboys kick off the 2023 regular season Sunday at MetLife Stadium. It's the first time they'll play each other in the opener since 2019 and the first time in East Rutherford, New Jersey, since 2012. To help set the stage for this matchup, we're now joined by Cowboys ESPN NFL Nation reporter Todd Archer. Todd, you got Lance Meadow here on Giants.com. Greatly appreciate the time. Hope all is well. How's everything on your end? Yeah, all good. Ready for this football season to finally start. It seems like it's been a while. Absolutely. It's always the marathon of the offseason. So now we're all looking forward to some meaningful football. And Todd, let's start with one of the biggest changes for the Cowboys, at least on the surface, is the fact that Kellen Moore is no longer calling the plays. He's with the Chargers as the offensive coordinator. And Mike McCarthy now is going to take over play calling duties for the first time since 2018. And they also added Brian Schonenheimer to the staff. So how much do you think these changes alter the dynamics of what we're going to see out of the Cowboys offense this season? I think what you see from the offense is really going to look pretty similar to what you've seen really since Dak has been the quarterback, right? I, I don't think there's going to be some new play that Mike McCarthy's going to show and we're going to be like, ooh, where'd that come from? Yeah. I, I, I do think like things that will emphasize uh, maybe their red zone packages and, and things like that, their pass protection. That'll be a little different uh, that, that maybe like the naked eye won't pick up. But, um, you know, Mike McCarthy is a proven play caller in this league. You know, obviously had a lot of success in Green Bay with, with Aaron Rodgers, with Brett Favre, uh, had an offense that averaged 26 points a game, had a bunch of yards per game. But there's some pressure on him because the Cowboys offense has been really good statistically the last four years with Kellen Moore running things. You know, top five in points and yards, third down red zone, all that stuff. Uh, so if, if it doesn't reach those standards, then people are going to wonder why, why you made the change or, or, or why you felt you, you needed to make the change. So th- this adds just a little more uh, t- to McCarthy's plate this year and in, in his fourth year with the Cowboys to show that he can be a true difference maker. Speaking of the pressure that comes with him now taking on play calling duties, Todd, earlier this offseason, McCarthy in passing made comments that perhaps there would be more of an emphasis on the run game. And I know when I heard that, I said to myself, well, Dak Prescott and three-star wide receivers, hard to believe he's going to consistently take the ball out of the hands of his star quarterback. But do you think that was more to maybe justify 
why they moved away from Kellen Moore, or is there really nothing to read into those statements? I, I think those th- those comments got misconstrued a little bit because what he was talking about was how they played really in, in 2020, where they were checking it all over the place, e- even after Dak got hurt and didn't run the ball specific, uh, very well. Last year, they ran it 530 times. I'll be stunned if they run it 530 times this year into Mike McCarthy because let's go to Mike McCarthy's track record in Green Bay. They weren't a run-heavy team at all. Um, sure. You know, they had success with the run, but they were a team that leaned on its path. And, and he's talked about before, you know, when you want to be a play caller, you don't think of what runs can, can lead to wins. You think of the pass plays that can be, lead to uh, chunk plays and touchdowns and things like that. So, I, I don't think you're going to see this become uh, ground and pound or, or, or anything like that. Or, you know, uh, to use the giant, it's not going to be the 1990 giants, right. Where it was <laughs> Otis Anderson running the ball and all that. Right. It, this is going to be, a, it'll be a balanced offense, but I don't think you're going to see the, the Cowboys morph into something that any different really percentage wise than what they've been. On a related note in terms of the offensive philosophy, you go back to last season, everybody really around the league, is emphasizing the fact that Dak Prescott led the NFL in interceptions with 15. And Todd, you watched every single snap. So if anybody can add context to this conversation, it would be you. I think you go back, you look at Dak's interceptions, about half of them were off of wide receivers' fingertips or off of their chest, including the pick six by the Jacksonville Jaguars that won the game. The reason I bring that up is, is not enough context being added to the dialogue as to Dak Prescott's turnover issues last season? Or when you go back, do you think there's some justification in terms of him needing to rethink where he's going with the football? The, every interception goes on the quarterback's record, fairly or not, right? Because every sure. win goes on the quarterback's record, fairly or not. So, you know, Dak understands that and gets it. But I think, you know, that you mentioned context. We don't live in a a society where we want context we we want yeah. we want the, the 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 black and white and you know Dak stinks and every pass he threw was picked off last year uh but yeah you, you mentioned a handful of them were in it were off of receivers hands or, or or things like that but there were a number of them though where he made poor decisions and I can think of Chicago late in the first half he tries to hit CD Lamb down the middle of the field when he didn't need to and he he made a game made it a game again. He put, brought the Bears back into it. Uh, touchdown, he, he tried to force a ball down the middle at Green Bay uh, on their second or third drive. That gets picked off in the end zone. Not a great route by the, by the tight end or, or C.D. Lamb on that one, but throw it in the stands and kick a field goal and go up 10 nothing. then maybe that doesn't turn into an overtime loss. So I think there were times where he just made bad decisions based on the coverage and what he saw. And, and time and score of games. And that's where that will need to improve. There will be a deflected pass that's going to go off a receiver's hand and get picked off. Every quarterback has those. I think he just needs to do a better job of controlling the, the ones where he's in charge of it with his decision-making, with understanding the time and score better. And Mike McCarthy's history, sorry to ramble here, but Mike McCarthy's history suggests he will cut down significantly on the interceptions you know, Aaron Rodgers, we all know he never threw an interception. So was that Mike or was that Rodgers? Give him some credit, I guess. But I'll point to Brett Favre. The year before Mike McCarthy came into the league, uh, came to Green Bay, Brett led the NFL in interceptions that year. The next year, with Mike McCarthy in his first year, cut him down by about half. So there's something about McCarthy's scheme that allows quarterbacks to stay away from the interception. That's a very good point. Plus, I would say Dak's track record shows that he's been fairly good in terms of the interception department. 15 was on the way high side in terms of his individual season highs. With respect to the targets that he's going to be working with, we know C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup are in the mix. The new arrival is obviously Brandon Cooks, who has really been a staple of 1,000 yards throughout his career. I look at him, Todd, as perhaps filling the void left behind two years ago by Amari Cooper because he's such a good route runner. He's that polished veteran. How much do you think they're getting an Amari Cooper replacement, essentially, out of Brandon Cooks this season? Yeah, I think you hit it. I mean, it gives them another target that really he didn't have last year. You know, Noah Brown was a good story as a former sixth, seventh-round pick. 
you know, he probably had more catches last year than he had if you add his Ohio State time and his Cowboys time together uh, b- before last year. So Cooks gives these guys a speed threat. He turns 30. It seems like he's been in the league forever. It's going to be year 10, but he's only now turning 30. He can still run. And, and you know, Dak talked about that in training camp, how every time he, he, he would watch the practice tape, there goes Cooks just flying by a guy. So th- that's an element that maybe even – Cooper didn't bring to this team. He was a great route runner and was good after the catch, but maybe not just straight line speed. Brandon Cooks give him something that that they don't have, and this allows Michael Gallup to be in that role he was when when it was Lamb, Cooper, and, and him. Uh, this allows C.D. Lamb maybe to get to see some different coverages as well. So I think you get Brandon Cooks for a fifth round pick from from Houston. That, that's a heck of a trade for the Cowboys. We're talking with Todd Archer, Cowboys ESPN NFL Nation reporter, as we set the stage for the regular season opener between the Giants and Cowboys Sunday at MetLife Stadium. The other noticeable change in terms of personnel, Todd, is in the backfield. They've had a one-two punch between Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. They cut ties with Zeke. A little bit younger now behind Tony Pollard. Plus, he's coming off that Mm -hmm. leg-ankle injury that he suffered in the playoff against the Niners. So a two-parter for you. A- how has Tony looked in terms of being back to full health for this opener? And B, how good do they feel about the depth behind him, considering there's not a lot of experience there? Yeah, exactly. And on the first part of that with Pollard, he looks like he did before. Um, it's easy to say that when you're just watching the training camp practice, they're not really tackling. He didn't sure. play in the preseason. Health-wise, though, they say he's 100%. He said he was really 100% going back to about June. Uh, I asked him yesterday, hey, do you need to take a hit? And he goes, yeah, you know, a hit really wouldn't be too bad. So, uh, you know, because it's been since January where he, where he played in the game. Uh, it, but this is the first time in really his life, maybe go back to high school, where he's going to be the lead back. He had 193 carries last year, 1,007 yards, has been a big play threat really since he got here out of Memphis as a fourth-round pick. But this changes the dynamic a little bit. And it was a little bit like C.D. Lamb a year ago, right? Like can he be the number one with Amari Cooper gone? And he proved that he, that he could be uh, with Tony Pollard. Now, now CD was a number one in high school, was a number one at Oklahoma, was one of the best guys coming out of the draft in, in 2020. With Pollard, as I mentioned, you know, can he be a number one? The Cowboys believe he can. They put the franchise tag on him, and, and he's shown that he can handle or, or be a big play contributor, contributor. But how much more than 193 carries can he get and that gets you to the second part of the, the question you asked, is that depth? And it's untested. Um, you know, right now it's going to be Rico Dowdle is their number two back. I think he has seven carries in the last three years or something like that. And then Deuce Vaughn, a six-round pick. Um, you know, th- there's some big question marks here. They like both of those guys. But this, they've rolled with that two-headed monster with Elliott and Pollard the last few years. And, and even if it wasn't so much split in – in 2019, 2020, between the two, they still knew Tony could do, do the job with these two guys. You really don't know. So I think it's going to be a feeling out process maybe early in the season. And that's going back to what we talked about earlier. That's why I find it hard to believe that they're going to run it more than 531 times when they don't have that complimentary, known complimentary back the way they did with Elliott and Pollock. Yeah, you need the personnel to deliver on that end. And, of course, the running backs go hand-in-hand with the offensive line. And the Cowboys have continuity and decent health coming into the season, especially with Tyron Smith ready to go at left tackle. However, the million-dollar question is Tyler Smith, their rookie, who had a really good campaign last year, all of a sudden coming down with a hamstring injury. So as we record this here on this Thursday leading up to the Sunday game, Todd, where would you assess Tyler's status going in? And in the event that he can't go, who would be the next man up here? Chuma Doga, I think, would be the guy that they would start. Um, not because he might be the best guy, but at least he has experience. He, he played for the Jets uh, for the last few years. Um, TJ Bass is an undrafted free agent out of Oregon. Uh, while they like his potential and he showed some good things in the preseason. I don't know if throwing him out there right away, the, per, the first game of this, this guy's career against those defensive tackles would make the most sense. Um, I, I think – I wish I could – I haven't talked to anybody yet after practice. Tyler Smith did not practice on Thursday. I think there's some optimism that he'll be able to get out there 
the Cowboys have a different practice schedule than a lot of teams where they don't practice on Friday and they do do a more of a, say, a combination practice of what a normal Friday is on Saturday uh, as, a, as a ramp up to the game. We'll know more by Saturday. Yesterday, I didn't think he was going to play in the game, but today I'm starting to think that there's a chance, just based on what we saw in his rehab work off to the side today, he, he looked like he was a guy that was better. But as McCarthy's pointed out, he's never had this injury before. And the return to play on a guy like that is a little different when you don't have that history of knowing uh, how he will deal with it like you would a veteran. So the, the timing of it couldn't have been worse for the Cowboys to have this question at left guard because, as you mentioned, you want to have that continuity up front, and, and they would have had at least some of that going into the opener. If they don't, then you, it's a mix and match that they've really had the entire time McCarthy's been a coach. Well, they definitely have continuity, Todd, on the defensive side of the ball as we flip the script. Dan Quinn stays on. I've said this throughout the offseason. I think maybe one of the most valuable transactions for the Cowboys this offseason was the fact that they didn't lose him to a head coaching gig because they've led the NFL in takeaways each of the last two seasons, and we know how effective the pass rush has been. I guess from a big-picture perspective, given how consistent this group has been, how much more can Dan Quinn get out of this unit in terms of elevating them to new heights this season in your mind? I think that's what they're banking on, that they will be better than they were a year ago. And, you know, the first, what, six of the first seven games, that they didn't allow more than 20 points in the game. Um, but, you know, they, they're, they've allowed too many big plays. The la and Dan Quinn will be the first one to tell you that. So that's something that they really need to monitor. They have to go from, look, they were sixth in league in scoring defense last year. That needs to improve. Uh, their, their yardage rank was 13th in the league. That needs to improve. And it can because now they have the, the core of these guys, maybe save one or two, are going into their third year with Dan Quinn as a coordinator. He knows them. They know him. And they can do some more things maybe that they haven't been able to do the first two years. I, I think they've, the biggest acquisition maybe that I talked about Cooks on offense is Stephon Gilmore, getting him from Indianapolis. Yeah. That gives the Cowboys a legit cornerback opposite Trayvon Diggs that if you want to test him, go right ahead. This is the defensive player of the year in 2019, a, a guy who can still move really well as a 30-plus-year-old uh, corner. Opposite Diggs, a guy with 17 picks in his first three seasons, um, gives the Cowboys a lot of options to what they can do at their pass rush and how they can match up at other positions. Todd, you brought up giving up too many explosive plays. The other item I think that jumps off the page from last season for not good reasons is issues in terms of stopping the run. And that clearly is important based on the personnel in the division. They bring in Mozzie Smith, first round pick, defensive tackle, and then they acquire Jonathan Hankins midway through last season, the former Giant. But he'll now have an entire offseason with the team. Those two in particular, how much do you think they bolster the Cowboys' ability to help stop the run? They, they better, or, or it's going to be the same old, <laughs> same old. Um, and, and, and a big part of, you know, the run defense struggled a little bit at the end of last year was when Van Der Esch was out. He's the guy who gets them all in the correct spots, you know, especially the defensive line to make sure in the right gaps and things like that. They really missed him at the end of last year, and that's where they had it's a, it's a, some issues with their run defense. But it really was an issue all year long. Uh, they need those two big guys, Hankins, obviously the former Giant, and Mozzie Smith, their first-round pick, to, to clog it up in the middle. Um, it's been a little bit of a slow start for, for Smith during training camp and in the preseason games, but he's a strong guy. He's just kind of trying to figure it all out here at this point. So I, I think you know the Cowboys are still going to be – and the Cowboys know that they're going to be tested uh, on their run defense because McCarthy said, what we do best is rush the passer. What's the best way to combat that? You run at us. So they know it's coming. And obviously they know with Saquon it's coming. They've had success with Saquon, you know, in his career. Uh, not Maybe not with all these guys playing defense, but I think he's got 200-yard games against the Cowboys and maybe four with less than 30 or some stupid stat, which doesn't make any sense because I've never really viewed the Cowboys' run defense as so potent that they could slow a guy like Barkley down. But the numbers have been pretty favorable to, the, to Dallas in that one. But if they're, if they're going to be they – where were they last year? Let me look it up. 22nd against the run last year. That has to get to 12, I guess, to make a significant jump, and that's why they, that's why they drafted Mozzie Smith. 
he, they need him to be a, a big part of this defense. Yeah, especially with guys like Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, and even Dorrance Armstrong consistently getting after the quarterback. You need guys to help solidify the other facets. And that brings me back to the pass rush, Todd, because we talk so much about Parsons and Lawrence. I actually think a guy who gets hidden as a result, overshadowed, however you want to word it, is Dorrance Armstrong. People probably don't even realize eight and a half sacks last season was second yeah. on the team ahead of Demarcus Lawrence. Yeah. How much do you think he's sort of the secret weapon in the pass rush based on how Dan Quinn has utilized him? Yeah, and he's a guy that they can move around and do different things yeah. with. And that's really all three of those guys, Armstrong, Demarcus Lawrence, and Parsons, can move in all these different spots to make it hard for offensive line to, to say, okay, which guy's coming? Where are they coming from? Are they going to be next to each other coming? You know, do we got to slide? Which way, which way? How do we get all this configured? Um, but the strength of the Cowboys team is, is their pass rush. You know, Dante Fowler is a guy four years ago would have been the Cowboys' best pass rusher. Now he's playing 30 snaps a game, it, maybe even not that much. And he's a guy who had, I believe, five sacks last year. Sam Williams, a second-round pick, battling a toe injury right now. I don't know how much he'll be able to play on Sunday, but is a guy that the Cowboys believe can get after the passer. So, you know, they have – it's not just like back in the day when the Cowboys, it was DeMarcus Ware. That was the guy that was going to get you 15, 16 back. They got a bunch of guys that, that can get after the quarterback, and that's what makes them so good. And that's why – does a pass rush make a secondary? Does a secondary make a pass rush? The Cowboys kind of have both. And when you look at the, just look at the names and the talent that both can help each other. And if you have Diggs and, and Gilmore, that should give Parsons and those guys more time to get to the quarterback. If you have Parsons, Lawrence and um, Armstrong and Williams and Fowler and all these guys, well, that's going to help the other guys on the outside not have to cover as long and maybe jump some routes. So they're in a good spot defensively as they enter their third year at Dan Quinn. We're talking with Todd Archer, covers the Cowboys for ESPN, their NFL Nation reporter. With respect to Parsons, Todd, the other storyline that came up this offseason was all these whispers about him moving positions, even though I would argue Dan Quinn has moved him around pretty much ever since he was drafted by the Cowboys. What do you make of where he's labeled and whether or not that's even going to make a difference in the big picture of things this season? Yeah, they still call him a linebacker. Um, <laughs> I, I, he's an edge player. That doesn't sound as good, but, um, <laughs> you know, he, he's, if I'm sure every team in the league would love to have him drop in coverage and not rush the passer. So, but like you said, he can line, he can line up in the a gap. He can line up to the left. He can line up to the right. He can drop in coverage and, and, and do a good job against tight ends and backs. Um, but where he's going to be become the, I, I, my guess is he will be the highest paid NFL defensive player in history next year. If the Cowboys want to get that contract done as soon as 2024 um, is because of how he affects the quarterback and disrupts the game plan and things like that. So he'll, he'll be all over the, he, he'll, how do I say this the right way? He's still going to be listed as a linebacker, but he's really an edge. It's not, I mean, he's, I think it's probably a semantics game. They'll move him around and keep people guessing, but he's going to be going forward at that quarterback. Yeah, I think semantics is a very appropriate term to discuss that element of this storyline entering the Cowboys-Giants game. We talked about injuries on offense. You had mentioned Sam Williams' injury that he's dealing with and perhaps could be limited or may not even play on Sunday. The other Player of note is safety Donovan Wilson dealing with a calf injury. Now, Dallas also has J. Ron Purse, who has been very productive for them. So how do you assess Wilson's availability, perhaps? And if he's not available, how much having Purse on the back end helps soften that blow? Well, really, the Cowboys' base defense is a three-safety look with, with Purse, Donovan Wilson, and Malik Hooker. So if you take him out of the mix, you're – you know, here's a guy, I think he had five sacks last year as well. Uh, he's a guy who pretty much hit every defensive statistical category. And the Cowboys signed him to a, a, a pretty decent extension here in this offseason. I'd be surprised if he were to play. Um, hasn't practiced since the opening train, opener of training camp because of that calf injury. Um, I, he has experience. He's a veteran. He knows what he's doing. I think the Cowboys take a big picture view of, it's an 18-week, 17-game season. He's not really practiced that much. 
let's be smart about it, even on a division game to open the year. Uh, I, I, and then from there, you look at guys they like, Marquise Bell, kind of listed as a linebacker hybrid guy a little bit. And then uh, Wanye Thomas, undrafted free agent from a couple of years ago, it's really done some good things. But it kind of takes one of the elements of the Cowboys defense, what makes them so strong with their three safeties and how they can match up a tight end, how they can still help in the run game. Um, he, he would be a loss for the Cowboys if he can't go on Sunday. Don, before I let you go, I guess we should get to the item that perhaps is the elephant in the room. It wouldn't be appropriate if we didn't talk the Cowboys without the kicking game coming up, given what unfortunately <laughs> transpired with Brett Maher last season in the playoffs. So they have a competition, and Brandon Aubrey, former soccer player who kicked in the USFL, winds up winning the role. And the numbers in the preseason – Solid two of three from field goals, eight of nine of extra points. How did he look from your optics? And where does Mike McCarthy feel confidence wise? He has this young guy as he takes over what could obviously be an extremely critical role throughout the stretch of this season. Yeah, he talked to us here on Thursday about that and said Aubrey reminds him of a young Mason Crosby who Mike had for years up in Green Bay. And in sure. Crosby's first preseason nailed a game-winning kick from 50-plus at the end of a preseason game or, or maybe early in the year and, and really used that to jumpstart his, his career. And, and Mike thinks Aubrey's got similar leg strength, kicked a 59-yarder in the last preseason game against the Raiders. Uh, and, and I don't want to say made it with ease, but certainly looked comfortable going out there and making the attempt. Uh, but there's still a wait-and-see approach because, you know, Mason Crosby – was a successful kicker in college at Colorado, a guy that a lot of people knew of coming into the draft. Brandon Aubrey, as you mentioned, was a soccer player at Notre Dame. Has only been playing, has only been kicking a football for the last two and a half, three years. So there is some questioning. The Cowboys do have confidence in him, though. Uh, but it is, you know, the way it ended with Maher last year wasn't good, but it was really only an extra point. I think he made his last 12 field goal tries of the season, including the playoffs. Uh, it was the extra points that gave him fits. So, the, you know, the Cowboys rolling in here with, with a young kicker. They've done that before. You know, in the, my tenure, I'm thinking of guys like Dan Bailey, undrafted kid out of Oklahoma yep. State, who ended up being one of the most accurate kickers uh, of all time until he left here. Um, so they'll have confidence in him. I'm curious to see if it's the first drive and it's fourth and two from the Giants, say, 35. Does McCarthy go for the field goal or does he go for the first down and see if he can – and get a little closer or get, or get a touchdown on, on a drive. It, that, that's going to be interesting to see how that impacts the play calling. Yeah, you bring up a great point because that obviously is another dynamic that will influence what McCarthy wants to do in terms of his level of aggressiveness or maybe getting the young kicker's feet wet early on in a divisional game right out of the gates. Well, it's the Cowboys and the Giants. They renew their rivalry week one of the 2023 regular season coming up this Sunday. He is Todd Archer, Cowboys ESPN NFL Nation reporter. Todd, always good to catch up with you. Greatly appreciate the time of the inside, and we look forward to Sunday's game. Thanks for joining me. You got it. Thank you. Appreciate it. We thank Todd Archer and Lance Metal for helping us out, getting an inside look at the Dallas Cowboys. The Giants Huddle is brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the Giants. From game day to every day, Citizens is made ready for Giant fans with insights, guidance, and solutions. Learn more at CitizensBank.com. You love turf. You're good at it. So you start a turf biz. Business grows. Your savings grow. Become the most celebrated name in turf. Are you ready for all that life brings? Now, let's go to the voice of the Giants, Bob Papa. He had a chance to talk to the head coach of the New York football Giants, Brian Dable, on the eve of this 2023 season. Season kicks off. Giants take it on the Dallas Cowboys. And as always, we're joined by the head coach of the New York football Giants, Brian Dable. And, uh, Coach, I know there's a lot of work that has gone into the lead-up to this opening day. Um, just sort of reflect upon how this offseason has been for you heading into this game and and the continuity of bringing your staff back from last year for the most part and this year number two with Joe kind of running things with the upstairs part of it um, and just how it's all kind of come together as we get ready to kick off season number two with Coach Dable. Yeah, we understand that every year is a new year. It's, you know, pretty consistent with a, a, a normal offseason once you've been at a place for a year. Um, you know, you go through you know, self-evaluation, scheme evaluation, you know, the combine and uh, free agency and the draft and then OTAs and um, 
training camp ultimately and preseason games. So it's a you know it's a pretty normal flow. Uh, obviously, most of the people in the building have been here for a year, so uh, I think there's a little familiarity with with that. But you know we added some players um, that we think can help us, and now it's about coming together and, and playing well this this opening game. As you were getting ready to sort of in your mindset with Joe, uh, think about what you wanted this team to look like going into 2023, at least from the outsider, it looks like one of the key components, along with bringing in good football players, was to increase team speed. Was that a focus or just a byproduct of players that wound up coming here? Well, I don't think that's anything new to to adding pieces to a team in the NFL. You're always trying to improve, whether it's your size or your speed or your talent. Um, but again, there's it's one thing about collecting talent, and it's another thing about building a team. And you know, we've went through, you know, a tough training camp and some preseason games. But, you know, ultimately it's how you respond in, in the regular season games when things get tough and you face adversity. And, you know, we've yet to play one yet. So uh, the guys are, are working hard. They, they've prepared well for this game. And, um, you know, it'll be, a, it'll be a good test for us. Uh, you mentioned adversity, Coach. I was thinking about, you know, what, what the atmosphere is going to be like when you guys take the field and the fans in there you know, blew out and the Cowboys and primetime and all that other stuff. And then I think about your quarterback and sort of this even keel sort of mindset that he brings to things. And we saw that last year, even though you guys didn't win on Christmas Eve, it was pretty loud in Minnesota. And then you go there and you win a road playoff game. How does Daniel Jones' personality best serve this team? Yeah, I think what's important for us, Bob, is that each each person on our team, you know, they each have their own personality and I want their personalities to show. And if you're, you know, have a calm demeanor like Daniel does and have a calm demeanor, whatever allows you to, to be at your best. Uh, if you're very excitable then be excitable, let's not try to be something that we're not. Um, he's been a good leader for us since I've walked into that building the first day, you know, he's worked really hard this week to get, to get ready to go out there and play a good game. Coach, how about the excitement level as far as now with him being in year two within the system, with Coach Kafka, yourself, and the rest of the offensive staff where, you know, you're able to sort of kind of understand each other in a certain way that last year was more of a learning process as you go into games like this. Yeah, I think that relationship is very important between, you know, in this case the head coach and and the quarterback and also the play caller and the quarterback. Um, You know, the quarterback touches the ball on every play. He has decisions to make on every play. And I think the more familiar and comfortable he is with the system that we're running, uh, the better he can play and the freer he can play. So I have a lot of confidence in Daniel. He's an extremely hard worker, and um, you know he's worked really hard this week to get to get ready to go out there and play a good game. I want to ask you about one more player before I get on to the Cowboys here. Darren Waller, who you brought in via trade, uh, you know has been you know outstanding when we saw him in game action, and I know he's been very impressive as far as the workroom is concerned, whether it's meetings, the weight room, or on the football field practicing. Could you just sort of share with the audience some of the things that make him a unique player? Well, he's got size, he's got speed, he's got quickness, good hands, um, athletic, and he's smart. So those are all good qualities to have um, at any position, uh, but particularly his, you know, with his intelligence that you know, he's played a lot of different spots throughout his career, and, you know, he's done a good job acclimating himself to, to our program. Coach, I know last season for your football team, uh, you know, stopping the run is always a priority, um, but you guys have made some steps to sort of bolster that. Last year, I think between Pollard and Elliott, they had a combined 62 carries for about 330 yards rushing. Does it kind of get back to the same thing as you get ready to play this game tonight? You have to be able to control the run to keep the game dictated on your terms? Yeah, I'd say first down is is a critical down. Um, whether they just choose to run it or throw it, you know, how they run it, whether it's perimeter runs, toss cracks, jet sweeps. Um, you know, they have a, a very good offensive line that can block a number of, of running plays well, and they have a, a very talented runner in Pollard who, who can make you miss. He can take it the distance. He can bounce it. He can cut back. So, you know, running to the ball, controlling the line of scrimmage, tackling well will all be, will all be key aspects to the game. And then you have Dak Prescott, who, uh, you know, has been outstanding since he's been in the league. I know a lot of people talk about the interceptions from last season, but, you know, if you take a look at 
what the Cowboys did offensively down the stretch, it was it was pretty impressive. They averaged 33 points a game over the last part of the season. What makes Dak such a difficult player to defend? Well, he's a very smart quarterback. He can throw the ball in any spot you need him to throw it. He makes good decisions. Um, and that's why he wins a lot of football games, right? Yeah, scores, um, and scores a lot of points. <laughs> Brandon Cooks is a new addition to this football team. Um, what kind of what kind of matchup stress does he put on a defense? Yeah, he stresses you vertically. Uh, he can run routes too. He's he's played this game a long time and numerous spots and been very productive wherever he's been. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him as a as a man and also a player. But he he can take the top off. He can hit you vertical. He can work the intermediate. He can catch and run. He's uh, he's a complete receiver. Dan Quinn's been in the league a long time as a head coach and the Cowboys defensive coordinator. And, you know, as you look at them defensively, as you get ready to play them tonight, Coach, um, obviously they create a lot of issues for you as far as getting pressure on the quarterback with their front and then their ball hawks. They've led the NFL in takeaways each of the last two years. Um, you know, obviously you're not going to give us the game plan here, but as you look at them, what are, what are the strengths that you see with this football team and things that they do really well defensively? Well, their strength is their players. Um, they have a lot of good players at numerous spots. They're extremely fast. They create negative plays, and they take the ball away. So when you play against a defense that has tremendous speed, that can create negative plays, whether that's in the run or the pass game, and that takes the ball away, th those defenses are usually going to be at the top of the league. And final question, Coach, as we get ready for this game. You know, there's, there's a lot of hype. It's a primetime game. It's the opening game of the season, so every player in the league feels it. But the way the rules are in today's NFL, it's not like the old days where guys played a ton in the preseason. And we saw a little bit of it in the Thursday night game with the Lions and Chiefs. How do you as a head coach manage the adrenaline to make sure that your guys have staying power for the full 60 minutes of football? Yeah, I think you do that throughout training camp. Um and then once the, the regular season hits, you know, you set the standard and the expectations and the keys for the game and uh, you teach them during the week. And, you know, my approach is, you know, less is more towards the end of the week. So, you know, everybody's excited to play this game. Uh, they've worked extremely hard. Opening day in the NFL is, is an, awesome, an awesome day. It's a, it's a great game to be part of. And there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of adrenaline, like you said. And, uh, you know, those guys, I just need those guys to be themselves. Uh, so everybody gets ready for games differently. But, you know, today's a day for the players. It's, it's less about, you know, the coaches and what you say because, you know, they're, they, they've spent a long time, you know, starting in OTAs all the way through now to, to get to this point. And um, I'm sure, you know, there'll be a lot of excitement. But, you know, the, the key is to, to stay focused on doing your job well and, and focus on playing the next play and understand there'll be plenty of diversity that, that we go through and, and just keep on, keep on going. Coach, we appreciate a couple minutes. Best of luck, and uh, we look forward to doing this throughout the course of the season. Thanks, Bob. We thank Giants cornerback Adore Jackson. We thank Todd Archer from ESPN. And we thank the head coach of the Giants, Brian Dable, and Bob Pop, of course, for joining us on the Giants Huddle Podcast. Thank you for being with us. It was all brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the Giants. Make sure you tune in to our pregame show at 6.20 on WFAN on Sunday, two hours before the game. Um, you'll hear snippets of some of these interviews and a lot more as Jonathan Casillas talked to you for two hours. Take your calls on the phone as well uh, to get ready for Giants football. Thank you so much for being with us, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle Podcast.